Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. We have been talking about values. Amen? Values and treasures and things of the kingdom. And Pastor Andreas has ministered for two weeks. Uh, the first week, he, he spent some time defining what values are. And I think the most notable thing we need, to, we need to understand is one of the things that Pastor Andreas said is that there are two value systems in this world. And you may think, oh, but there's lots of various value systems in this world. I have a, like one of those game shows, a beautiful assistant this morning. Spin the wheel, Siobhan. No, it's not going to be like that. Um, he said that there are two kinds of value systems in this world. The value systems of this world and the value systems of the kingdom of God. Now, within the value systems of this world, I, I mean, you would agree there's different cultures, there's different ways of doing things, different value systems. But if we take things right down to the grassroots, to the foundations, we understand that all values have a source, have an origin. And the source and the origin of our values are either going to be found in the heart and in the kingdom of God or outside of it. And that's what we need to come to terms with. And so if we want to be people of the kingdom of God, people who live kingdom lives of kingdom influence, we need to understand the importance of kingdom values. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that this morning. Values have to do with, one, what, with what one regards as important in life. And so just for example, last week Pastor Andrea shared with us on two values that have journeyed with him throughout his life and that he has seen God bless when, when, when he has been faithful and obedient to the command or the instruction of God, blessing came. Not always immediately. Sometimes it came through a trial. Sometimes it came through an extended period of, of even persecution. He shared his testimony how when, when he began to preach the word, there was persecution, like you and I would hardly understand these days in the society we grow up in. And you may think in that point, well, where's the blessing of God? Did I hear God right? But as you remain faithful and obedient to what the Lord did tell him to do, in due season, you and I sit here. In due season, there is a reward. In due season, there is a blessing. And some of that blessing, praise God, we get to enjoy together here on earth. Other parts of that blessing, Dad, you're going to get to enjoy much later on the other side of this world. Amen. Amen? But values have to do with what we regard as important in life. It's the worth we place on something. It is how much, a good example of this is how much are you willing to pay for it? You go to the shop and you see something that you really desire and you look at the price tag and suddenly the value of that thing comes into question in your own heart and mind. The other day I went to shopping for my wife's birthday present. I saw something. She'd love that. And I looked at the price tag. And I thought, no, she won't like it very much. <laughs> it'll, it'll make her look fat. <laughs> because suddenly, when, you, when you're confronted with the real value of something, you see, because value brings with it a sense of cost. Amen. You will make sacrifices for that which you truly value. 
So if I truly value prayer and the Word of God, what am I going to be sacrificing? Most likely, sleep. Get up early in the morning, spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer. If I value my relationship with my wife, what's it going to cost me? Well, it's going to cost me my pride. It's going to cost me my right to be the man of the house. It's going to cost me some time behind the sink. Damn, I hate it when I get caught out preaching. <laughs> Just take that out of the recording, please, Siobhan. Otherwise, I'll be in trouble. No, I'm teasing. You understand? So when you value something, there's a cost that comes along with it. But also we find that when we truly value something, we behave accordingly. And very often we say that we value certain things, but our behavior undermines us. I value going to church, for example. It's a value of mine, so I value going to church. Oh, wonderful. How come we only see you every second or third week? Do you really value it, or do you not value it that much? I va again, I value prayer. How much time do you spend in prayer? I value whatever it may be. I value honesty, but yet you, you lie. What we truly value will come out in the way we behave. And so a value system, therefore, is a set of moral governing standards or rules that govern our life according to the things that we value. Pastor Andreas also said something really interesting. He says, if we want to change our behavior, what do we need to change? What we value. Because our behavior will always be a reflection of what we truly value. How many of you have tried to change your behavior without changing your values? It's an uphill battle. It's very, very difficult. And most times it ends in failure. Amen? How many of you decided... How many of you have, have ever in your life made the decision that you need to exercise? I need to change my behavior in this area. Or I need to eat less of a certain kind of food. You ever try to, to, to do that? Without changing your value system? You know what the thing is? We can change our behavior for a short period of time. That's not difficult to do. But ultimately, what we truly value will overcome us. I value chocolate cake, for example. I can abstain for a few days, but ultimately, unless I change that value, nothing's going to change in my life. And so we're talking, when we talk about the kingdom of God and the values of the kingdom of heaven, we understand that heaven has, or God has a value system, a sense of things that are valuable or important, that are worthy of sacrifice. They, they trans, they, they form a way of behavior or a way of living life which is very different from the world's value system and very different from the world's way of doing things. And the way that this value system begins working itself out in our hearts is a key because when we can understand that, we can begin partaking with it. Jesus made some wonderful analogies um, concerning the kingdom of God. I'll read a couple to you. First one I'm going to read to you is from Luke chapter 13, verses 18 to 19, and it says this, Then Jesus said... What is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed that when a man planted it in a garden, it grows and becomes a tree and the birds make a nest in its branches. It's a beautiful analogy because if you understand how big the giant mustard tree is, some people say it's the biggest tree on the earth. They've obviously never seen the redwoods. But it is, it is gargantuan. It is a huge tree and it spreads out wide. 
And so you have this very, very small seed. A mustard seed is tiny. Tiny. You just put it in your hand and, and you, you can see this little black seed. But the potential that is in that seed is the potential of that full-grown mustard tree. And in its branches, birds find refuge. And the Bible says that the kingdom of God is like that. It starts off very small. It starts off with a little seed. It starts off with changing my thinking in one area of my life. One little attitude shift. One value change. And slowly by slowly, as that value grows, it begins to overwhelm other values that I used to hold. It begins to... You know, when I was... When I, 20 years ago, I desired things and I wanted things and I pursued things that I, I couldn't be bothered with anymore. Part of that is maturity. I have grown up a little bit since 20 years ago. But part of that is also just a shift in my heart, turning away from certain things and desiring other things. Why? Because there's a desire for, in my heart for God and a desire for the kingdom that has grown to the extent where everything else around it seems quite small. He carries on to say, What else shall I liken the kingdom of God to? It is like the yeast a woman used in baking bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Now, my wife is a good baker. I'm a good cook. I don't use recipes. I come to the pot and I see what's in the cupboard and I see what's in the fridge and boom, I throw things together and I like doing things like that. My wife is not. She's meticulous and that's why she's a good baker. Everything has to be measured out, whether it's cakes or bread. But here's the interesting thing with yeast. She took three, she tripled her recipe, according to this parable. He tripled his recipe, but all he had was a little bit of yeast. But it's amazing that that little bit of yeast was enough to leaven all the dough. Why? Because the kingdom of God, like yeast, is alive. Yeast is a living organism. And when you put it in something, it begins to react with everything else around it and begins to change it, begins to make its presence known. If you cook dough without any yeast, you end up with something flat and dense. That's, a lot of people today need Jesus because they're flat and dense. I'm teasing. But you throw a little bit of yeast in there, give it some time. It needs a little bit of time in the right environment, a warm atmosphere. And suddenly that, that flat, that what would have been flat, rises into this beautiful bread which is light and airy. And it has the effects of the yeast all over it. When you eat the bread, can you, can you see, when you cut it, you can't see the yeast anymore. You can't see what went in to make it do that, but you see the effect of it. And the kingdom of God is a lot like that. That's how it begins to work, first and foremost, in our hearts. When we are born again, the nature of Christ is like a seed that comes into us. It's like that little bit of yeast. And although we can't always put our finger on it, although we can't always see exactly what Jesus is doing, as you look, you can see the effects of what Jesus is doing. Attitudes begin to shift if we allow Him room to grow. Our mindset begins to change. And here's the other beautiful thing. As we begin to live out of this thing that is going inside of us, that same yeast, that same seed begins to be sowed in other people's hearts. It begins to, be, begins to be sowed in the environment that we are in, in our workplace, in our families. One of the testimonies that Pastor Andreas gave last week is about how 
in his, how his marriage began to change and how Cristela began to see in him a change was happening. I have to use him as an example because I was already born again when I got married. You see. I'm teasing. The point is this, that something happens and something you can see it. As values come together and as people begin to share in values, you have what we, we call today a culture. A culture is simply a shared value system where people work things out together. It's a corporate set of guiding beliefs. And we, we place a lot of emphasis on culture these days. And it's interesting, no matter which culture you come from, there's huge emphasis on your culture. This used to be the Greek church, the Greek assembly. Do you remember that? No, well, none of us do, thank God. But it used to be that. The Greek culture was very strong. And we, have, we live in a country where we have 11 different languages. Why does every one of them need recognition? Because they represent a culture. Us English people, we're all into our lineage. And, oh, where does, Morris, where does that come from? Where do you fit into the picture? Because somehow that puts you into a culture and it puts you into a box or a way of doing things, a, way, a system of doing things. Now, the Bible teaches us that when we become children of God, there is a new culture that is sowed into our heart. Amen? And as we come together as a family of God like this, as the church, there is a set of guiding beliefs or guiding principles or guiding values that determine what we do and how we do it. It's very interesting that when you look at those, those analogies of the value systems or the kingdom of God coming in and like a seed, beginning to affect and change everything around it, I want to talk to you a little bit about how the church of God is supposed to affect and change and work in culture. Understanding first and foremost, values begin within us. God changes our values. We begin to live in a different way. I don't want to re-articulate everything that's been said over the last few weeks. Through that change, we begin to change the culture and the environment around us until eventually it all begins to resemble the kingdom of God. I want to share with you this morning what I have seen, and I'm sure you'll bear witness with, with this, concerning the church and the role of the church within society and perhaps where it is where we sometimes go wrong. If I were to draw a circle here and write within it culture, this circle represents this world system, the world that you are living in. And you could say the good, the bad, everything that's in it, uh, how people around you think, how they value relationships, how they think about their jobs, how they think about money and where money comes from and what money is used for, the, the sense of morality, the difference between what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. And in this is a huge mix of different things. And we understand, as, as we've said the kingdom of God is not the same as the kingdom of this world. There's no fellowship with light and with darkness. So if this represents everything that, that the world represents, it's, its value system. What I want to draw now is a second circle. And this circle I want to represent the church. The struggle that we have in the church today is that we profess a completely different value system. We say that we, don't, we have a different way of doing things. We have a, a sense of morality that has been established for us in and through the Word of God. We say that this is our, uh, the foundation, everything from the Word. This is what we believe. But yet, in the way we work things out, what we have created 
is a co-culture that exists alongside the culture of the world and the world's way of doing things. It has a different name. We call ourselves Christians or we call ourselves the church. But if you were to walk down the street, if you were to be in a company dealing with people every single day, if you were in school or in university, would, you would not be able to tell the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. Ta we've taken on a different name, but in terms of culture, in terms of our values, in terms of that which motivates us and the way we behave around and towards other people, we look exactly the same as the world. People hit us, we hit them back. People are nasty, we give them one fall. There's no patience. We drive in traffic, we're just as bad as the next guy when somebody pulls out in front of us. Do you understand what I'm talking to you about here? What I'm talking to you about, when Jesus came to create, to give, to give us something here, he called a different culture, he called this something very interesting. Forgive my writing, my handwriting. But Jesus said, I will build my church. The word church is an interesting word in the Greek. It is the word ekklesia. And it is made up of two words. The one word means to be called out and to come together. It is God's called out ones. The church, now you've got to understand in the time that Jesus said this, the word ecclesia was a commonly known word. Jesus didn't define what ecclesia meant because it was a word that was a term that was used throughout the time and throughout the region. It wasn't a Christian word. Church is not a Christian concept per se, the word church. What an ecclesia was is you've got to understand the whole region was under the domination and the rule of Rome. And what that meant is that wherever two or three or more Romans were gathered together, they would... They would form a consortium, so to speak, and then the, the nature and the culture and the values and the lifestyle of Rome would be present there where they were. They would bring Rome and the way Rome did things into their environment. So when Jesus said, I will make, build my church, I will build my ecclesia, he was basically saying in the same understanding that you have is wherever Roman citizens are, they colonize things to make it look like Rome. My people, wherever they go, they will colonize the earth to look like and to resemble the kingdom of heaven. They will bring in the value system of heaven. They will behave and live life in a way that mirrors and models what the kingdom of heaven looks like. When you begin understanding that concept, you start seeing the power of what Jesus was communicating when he said, whenever two or more of you are gathered together in my name, there I am. What's he saying? There's the kingdom. The kingdom of God is with you. The values of the kingdom of God are there. Everything about that is there. And so instead of creating a culture that is a co-culture that looks the same as the culture of the world, even though it has a different name, and maybe in our hearts we believe certain things are, we, we, that separate us apart, but in terms of our day-to-day -day life, in terms of the day, ways that we deal with difficulty, in the ways that we deal with our jobs and provision and all these things, raising our kids, everything, we look pretty much the same as the world, although we call ourselves something different. That is what you call a co-culture. It exists alongside the culture without having any real impact. It integrates perfectly. And the problem is that not only has the church integrated into the world, but unfortunately the world has integrated itself into the church. Much of what we do in church life is not scriptural, it's, not, it's, it's worldly. The divorce rate within the church is the same as what it is out in the world. There is no difference. 
We are starting, we've gotten to a point where we call what is good evil and what is evil good. We've lost all sense of morality, even within the church, because people are too scared to say what the truth is for fear of being politically incorrect. So we look exactly the same. And what that means is that we are powerless to change it. Jesus came, and the way he lived his life And the culture that he brought and that he raised his disciples in was not a co-culture that looked the same as, and did everything the same way as everybody else did. He, put, he brought in what, he called, what I'm calling a counter-culture. It was counter to, opposite to the culture that was the norm. So he would say things like, if a Roman soldier who has every right to command you to carry his load for one mile by, 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 by view of the rank that he holds... Don't just carry it one mile, carry it two, and do it with a smile. Somebody asks for your coat, don't say, excuse me, who do you think you are? Give him your coat, and you know what, give him your hat as well. Somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Don't hit him back, turn the other cheek. If somebody defrauds you, what's more important, your money or this relationship? Completely counter to the culture and the system of this world. He brought with him the concept that his church, that his people would be the called out ones, out of a culture, out of a way of doing things, out of a way of thinking, and into an entirely new, diff and a new and a different value system. In praying for his disciples, Jesus says this in John 17, 14 to 16, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. In other words, keep them in the world, God. They are leavened there. They're the, they're the mustard seed. But keep them from the evil one. Don't let him infiltrate or, or, or affect or, or, or um, have influence over their lives, but let them be the light and the salt in the midst of the situation that will bring forth that kingdom change that, that, that we're all about, that, that Jesus lived for. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. What sets the value and culture of the kingdom of God apart from the values and culture of the world, I also want to say this, it is not about what we oppose. It is about what we are for. And I think this is another place where the church has got things really wrong. We've become really critical of the world. And we point our fingers at the world and we say, that's wrong and you shouldn't do that and this and this and that and that. And the church has, has, has done a really lousy job in communicating love, by and large, out there. We're quick to point the fingers and say, that's wrong. And so when I talk to you about a counterculture, I want you to understand that the, the, what was so different about the culture, of, the culture that Jesus came to bring? What was so different about his value systems? The primary difference was that they were a value system of the heart that were focused on bringing love to other people, not judging them. Who did Jesus hang out with? Jesus hung out with the prostitutes, with the tax collectors. He went and, so, and, and, and fellowshiped with the lepers, the down and outs, the, the societal outcasts. Those who society lauded and highly respected, Jesus gave little regard to. 
He didn't go and start a political campaign to bring down the Roman Empire. He didn't point out everything that was wrong in the world around him. But instead he got down with a completely different value system of love and of servanthood. And he served it like little bits of leaven, like little seeds being sown, a little seed of love here, an act of kindness there, helping somebody in a point of need, teaching them, and not expecting them to be perfect, to be worthy of his time, but just giving of himself freely. This kingdom, if we want to see kingdom change, we need to understand it's not about what we stand against and we put too much effort there. It's about what we actually live for. It's more than about what I say I live for. It's more than about what I say I believe. It's about how does what I say I believe and what I say I value actually find hands and feet in my everyday life. Is the atmosphere of the place brighter because I am there? Has it changed? Last night I watched a movie... It is one of my favorite movies. How many of you have seen the old classic, Pollyanna? We need to have a movie night, church. <laughs> it is the most beautiful story of a little girl whose parents die, and she goes to live with her aunt. And her father used to be a missionary, so they were very, very poor. And she went to live with her aunt in Harrington. Harrington is the name of the Harringtown. Harrington was named after the Harringtons. Her, her great-grandfather had, had built this town, and her aunt, who she was now living with, was very wealthy and very influential. And right at the beginning of this movie, you have the minister or the church of, of the priest, the pastor, the, in, in her house, and she is discussing his sermon with him and suggesting what he should be preaching. Uh, and, and it's the story about a town who is really just down, they are downcast, they, the, the, the control and the grip of, of this family over the whole town is, everyone's just really sad, there's no hope, it's just a, a horrible situation. How after just a few, little, a few weeks, this tiny little girl comes in and changes people's lives by playing a little thing she calls the glad game. People moan and complain and she always says, well, at least it's, it's not that. Why do you always have to be glad? Why do you always have to be happy? Why, why are you with this problem? And, and it all stemmed from when she was a child and she sent to the missionary bells, which was the provision that they got from the, the, the resource hub that was you know, supporting her father. They wrote and asked, please, for a doll for their little girl. And instead of a doll, a pair of crutches arrived. And she was obviously very upset. And so her father taught her to play the glad game. Instead of being sad about not having a doll, why not be glad that you don't need to use the crutches? And she learned and she taught an entire town how to just be glad. How to look for the good things instead of looking for the bad. We spend far too much time looking for the bad. Abraham Lincoln said, if you look for the bad in mankind expecting to find it, you surely will. But likewise, if you look for the good, if you look for what is holy, if you look for what is pure, if you look for what is deserving of honor and, and good report, You'll find that too. Why do I bring this up? Because right towards the end of this movie, the little girl has an accident. She falls out of a tree and um, she, she's paralyzed from the waist down. And this whole miserable town comes together and rallies around her just to encourage her. And as the, 
just the, the, the closing scene of the movie, the train rolls out with her on the train going to a hospital to have an operation. They're hanging the sign underneath. It says, um, what did I say the name of the town? We're hearing town. And underneath it, they hang another sound, sign. It says, the glad town. And a little girl in just a few weeks had completely changed an entire town. I love that movie so. My eyes were still sore this morning from crying so much last night. You see, we spoke about how changing behavior, we can't change behavior without changing our values. So I have a question for you. How do I begin changing my value system? So if I want to change my behavior, I've got to change values. What is the motivating factor? Now, I want to just, just bear with me on this, this, this thought train for a moment. I want to change behavior, so I have to change values. I can work on behavior, but it's not going to be nearly as effective as if I change values first. Amen? Now, I want to change values so that I can change behavior. But I want to say to you that there's something else that affects values in an incredibly powerful way. And we can work hard at changing our values and using discipline and self-control, put new values in place and start living by them. But if we understand the foundational principle that our values are locked up in, we begin to tap into the power that is like that mustard seed, that is like that bit of yeast. Our values, folks, stem from and are wrapped up in our identity. Say identity. Identity is how you see yourself. It's how you value yourself. And based on how you see yourself, you will live your life according to a certain set of values. It's also very interesting. In, in the story, I'm not going to read it for you now, a story of Nicodemus. Jesus comes to Nicodemus, who is a, a well-learned man. He's a, he's a teacher, and he, he says to him, what must I do? What do I and he asked the question, Rabbi, we know that you are a good teacher who came from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's John 3, verses 1 to 6. You see, Christ came and he dealt with our sin. That's what he took away from us. But at the same time, Christ not only took our sin away from us, but He gave us something too. What did He give us? A brand new identity. Born again. What is rebirth all about? It is about a fresh start. It is about the death of the old, coming out of the old, and the birth of something brand new. Colossians 1.13 uh, says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. If I identify myself more with this world and what this world says about me and how I feel about everything that's going on around me, guess what my value system is going to look like? And based, because of that, guess what, how I'm going to behave and how I'm going to live my life? But if I begin to relocate and, re and shift my heart 
and begin to draw from that which God has already placed within me, a new divine nature, a seed of life. And I begin to set my value system around those things because I'm not who I was anymore. Guess what's going to happen to the way I live my life and to my behavior? What the Bible's teaching us this morning is that we need to identify more with our heavenly position in Christ than our physical position on earth. The reason that Christ was able to walk to overcome the world and walk in victory over it was because he was not of this world. And he knew it. He was of another world. And likewise, if you and I want to walk in victory over the temptations and over the value systems of this world, we need to realize that we are not of this world. We are of another world. And the values and the, the, the mannerisms of that new world that is living within us are overcoming they are of the overcoming type. They will always trump what the systems of this world have to offer us. The Apostle John tells us in his first epistle from chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not the Father, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And we come back to this picture again. So much of what we struggle with today as believers is not because God hasn't done what he's supposed to do, and it's not because the devil is so powerful that we have no control over what he does in our lives. Our problem, by and large, is that our love and our affection, let me put it in another word, our value is still so integrated in this world. We still value and consider important what the world considers important. We still seek after and pursue the things of this world. The pride that goes with it, the lust of the flesh, the personal satisfaction of my appetites, the lust of the eyes, my ambition to get what I want to, the pride of life, having everybody else think that I'm important. We still value those things. Here's the way that same scripture reads out of the Message Bible. It says, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love the world." Uh, sorry, love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out, but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Folks, here's the truth. The less power and influence the world has over us, the more power and influence we will have over it. We cannot think that we will be able to indulge in everything we want to, and then one day we're going to have power and we're going to be over it and we're going to be strong in the Lord. It just doesn't work that way. We cannot draw from one value system and one kingdom and live in another at the same time and expect to eat the good of both. The power that Jesus had was as a result of the fact that not only did he not come from another kingdom, but he never partook of the kingdom that was there. He was with the sinners, but he never partook of their sin. 
He was there to influence them and to be the yeast and to be that mustard seed in that situation. You see, you cannot change your lifestyle or your behaviors until you change what you value, and you cannot change what you value until you come to terms with who you are in Christ. Colossians 3 verse 1 and 2 says this, If then you were raised with Christ, if then, just pause for a moment, if then, what is he really saying there? He says, just think about this. You and I, when, when Christ rose from the dead, victorious over sin and hell in the grave, sin dealt with, we find our citizenship with Him in heavenly places. We belong to this world. Our address is number 777, Heaven Avenue, Heaven. Probably, probably Jesus Avenue. They probably named the road after Him. Just probably. And just think about that for a moment. Our citizenship, our identity, our culture, our place of belonging is in heaven. And here he's saying, if that's true, if you were really raised with Christ, if your ancestry, if your culture, if everything is based in heaven, then seek those things which are from heaven. Seek those things which are in heaven. Look for, pursue the things that are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. What is our struggle? Our minds are so busy here. Our minds are caught up in the daily grind. Our minds are caught up on... How are we going to get there? What are we going to do? When's the deadline? What's the next thing? And it's this world's rat race, the system of going and doing and achieving and being. And, and we get caught up in it. What's the solution? Set your mind. Set your mind. Set your mind where? On things above, not on things of the earth. Here are some principles for you folks. Number one, you become like what you consistently behold. If you are consistently beholding what's going on around you, if that's where your attention is, nose in the newspapers all day, you're going to become like that. You're going to be filled with the same spirit of fear and anxiety and worry about what's going to be happening in our country, in the business, in, in whatever the case. But if you set your heart and mind and your focus in the Word of God, guess what you're going to become like? You're going to become what the world call, Word of God calls you. You're going to become more than a conqueror. Instead of being influenced by everything that's going on around you, you are going to be the instrument for influence in that situation. You'll become the salt. You'll become the light. Why? Because your attention is not set on these things. These are not my determining factors. There's something higher that sets it out for me. Here's another principle. You will pursue or constantly behold that which you truly value. So you and I and our pursuits are the product of what our true affections are. And that's a sobering reality, isn't it? Here's a third principle I want to leave with you. You will always value what you identify with. And here's where, I know in my life years ago, I really grappled with this, but here's where I see so many within the church really grappling. Our values are determined by our identity. And we identify ourselves still so much 
with the world around us, with what is going on around us, so much more than we do with what the kingdom of God is. So much more than who we are in Christ Jesus and what He has made us to be. And it ought not to be so. It really ought not to be so. We need to be drawing from something far deeper and far greater than what the world around us is drawing from. Amen? Because there's something so much more powerful out there. So much more wonderful. And what is that thing? That is who Christ has made you to be. A child of God. The son of God. The daughter of God. Valued. Loved. Washed. Cleansed. Delivered. Justified. Empowered. Strengthened. Now when these things begin to grip our hearts, our whole value system begins to change. It begins to shift. Why? Because I'm no longer trying to prove myself. I'm no longer trying to gain affection. I'm no longer trying to accomplish anything. But I'm comfortable in my Father's love, in everything that Christ has already accomplished. And I have the privilege of being that seed for Him in the world that He has placed me in. So let's bring... Let's zoom, let's zoom right back in again. Let's get from this vision of bringing the kingdom of God throughout our environments and our workplaces and our families and being that, that yeast in that area. Let's bring it right back down to where it all really begins. What is the word of God? What is the value system and the kingdom of God doing inside your heart now? What is it that God has been speaking to you? What is it that God is whispering to your heart? What has He been saying to you? And how is that beginning to produce life inside of you? Let me say, Michael, what does all of this really have to do with value systems and all these things? If we can't get this right, if we can't get this foundational blocks in place, all of the other stuff becomes fluff. It becomes things we strive for, things we try to put in place, we try to live a good Christian life. But at the end of the day, if our hearts have not been truly impacted and changed by the presence and the power of God, all of that becomes stuff and fluff. Get burned up. And when we hit resistance, when we hit temptation, we don't have the stuff to overcome it because it's just been striving in the flesh. It's just been trying to prop up. So what is God saying to you this morning? Shall we stand together? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.